you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them, please, to the Gospel of Luke? Sunday morning, we're in a sermon series entitled, A Rainbow Christmas. And we're looking at different colors that are normally associated with the holiday season and seeing how they might fit the Word of God, the Christmas story particularly. So far, we've seen a green Christmas, a blue Christmas, a gold Christmas, and today, color Christmas white. Luke chapter 1, verse 78 and verse 79. These are the words of Zechariah. Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist, the greatest prophet ever born of woman. It would be John the Baptist who would be the herald, the messenger, the announcer, the Western Union boy, if you will, to announce to the world the Messiah has come. And he identified the Messiah with no uncertainty. He pointed at the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, behold, that is him, the chosen Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Now, Zechariah had a prophecy in Luke chapter 1 that he's speaking of. And in verse 78 and 79, he talks a little bit about the Messiah. He has come to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, verse 77, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness. Pay attention to that phrase. This Messiah, he will come and he will give light to them that sit in the blackness and in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. To give light to them that sit in the blackness, the darkness, to those that are in the shadow of death itself. I don't know about you, but I have my favorite Christmas songs. And I love this time of year because I love to listen to them over and over and over again. The all-time favorite Christmas song of all people, though, according to statistics, is a song that was originally recorded 73 years ago. It's the song, White Christmas. Bing Crosby recorded that song in 1942 as America was at war. And that song quickly became a favorite during the war years. And it quickly stayed a favorite even after the war years were over. You see, during the war years, families at home, soldiers abroad, were facing days and times and seasons that were filled with great uncertainty and great instability. Many of our fighting men would be gone for Christmas in 1942. They would be fighting the, the Germans in North Africa or fighting the Japanese in the Pacific Isles. And 
these military men and the families that they left behind were longing for a better day. And White Christmas came along. You know, it's the song White Christmas speaks of a better day. It speaks of days that are merry and bright, not gloomy and doomy. It speaks of a Christmas for everybody that will be white, not black or dark. You might say the song White Christmas was a song of hope. It was a dream of peace and joy in a world filled with war and sadness. White Christmas. In Luke chapter 1, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ has come. For many years, the people of God and others have been dreaming of their own white Christmas. They've been dreaming of days and times and seasons that would be merry and bright, where everybody's Christmas would be white. They were dreaming of a white Christmas because Christmases up until the birth of Jesus were black and they were dark because the people were oppressed by sin. The prophet Isaiah wrote of a day that was to come when though your sins be as scarlet, though they shall be white as snow, though they be red like crimson, though they shall be like wool, So the people of that day were looking for the Messiah. This one who would come and take the gloom and doom out of Christmas and put Mary and Bride in it. This one who would come and take the blackness and darkness out of Christmas and make it white again. They were looking for that one that Isaiah spoke of. And yet he hadn't come. Tens of years passed, hundreds of years passed, thousands of years passed, and there was no Messiah. And God's people became discouraged and depressed. They were living in darkness and in the shadow of death. And then all of a sudden, God comes. An angel announces to Zechariah that you're going to have a son. And that son is going to be a prophet. And that son is going to be the greatest prophet there has ever been. And he will announce to the people, Jesus has come, the Messiah. And this Jesus who will come, the Messiah who will come, he will bring salvation to his people. Forgiveness of their sins. He will bring light to their darkness. He will bring life to their death. He will bring peace to their troubles. It's no accident, it's no coincidence that Jesus would be called the light of the world. He came to shed his light on the darkness. He came to be the life of the world, to bring life to a world that was dead. He came to be the Prince of Peace, 
to a world that was troubled with war, inward, outward, and upward war. He came to be all of that. He came to bring a white Christmas to a world that knew nothing of that but blackness and darkness. It's interesting in Ephesians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, you might want to flip over there for a second. The Apostle Paul talks about this blackness and this darkness. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, he makes reference of how the people have been ignorant and have been deceived by where the blackness and darkness has come from. Verse 17 of Ephesians 4, he says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, as other pagans walk, and the pride of their mind. Don't you walk around prideful and arrogant, thinking you have something that you don't. That's what he's saying. Having the understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Who being past feeling have given themselves over into lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth that is in Jesus. You're to put off concerning the old lifestyle, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And you're to be renewed, verse 23, and the spirit of your mind. In other words, you have been in the dark. You now need to let the light of the Lord come in and show you things. And verse 24, that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now remember, Jesus came into a world that was dark and black. There was no white Christmas. He came into a world that was dying and dead. There was nothing merry and bright about it. And yet the people, many of the people, did not see their problem. The world of Jesus' day, the law of Jesus' day in religion taught that if you wanted to be white, all you had to do was say and do the right things. According to the world or according to the religious laws of that day. In other words, in order to have a white Christmas, all you had to do was put it on the exterior. Just say the right things and you can have a white Christmas. Just do the right things, you can have a white Christmas. But the problem was this. When Jesus came on the scene, he corrected that erroneous thinking. The world had it all wrong. Religion even had it all wrong. The problem with man's blackness 
was not what he said and did. The problem with man's blackness, the man's darkness, came from his heart. Out of the heart would proceed the words that would be said. Out of the heart would proceed the deeds that would be done. What man needs is not a new mouth. What man needs is not a new body. What man needs is a new heart. Because the problem with man's heart is the heart of the problem. Man wants a white Christmas, but you can't get a white Christmas just by outward things. Because the problem is deeper. It's right there. The heart. And when Jesus came on the scene, he turned over the apple cart with his teaching. Do you know the Sermon on the Mount was a controversial sermon? We read it and don't think a lot about it. I'm telling you, when Jesus preached that sermon in his day, it caused almost a riot. Because what he said is the problem isn't what you say, it isn't what you do, the problem's your heart. And unless you get something done with your heart, nothing else matters. So what did he do in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, the world and the law says, thou shall not kill, and you'll be white. You'll have a white Christmas. Jesus said, I've come to tell you that's not correct. It's not only a matter of thou shall not kill. Jesus said, it's a matter of what's on the inside. Thou shall not hate. Because if you have hatred in your heart, you've already murdered somebody, whether you ever do it with your hands or not. The world of Jesus' day and the religion of Jesus' day was filled with hatred. And yet they walked around patting themselves on the back because they never killed anybody. Jesus said, you're just a bunch of murderers because you've got hatred in your heart. And hatred is the first step to murdering somebody. And then he, the world and the law of that day said, well, if you want to have a white Christmas, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus said, that's not so. If a man has lust in his heart toward another person, he has already committed adultery, even if he bodily never touches anybody. Because lust is the seed that produces fornication and adultery. Of course, the religious leaders didn't like that because they bragged on how white they were, because they did not commit such sins, at least publicly did not commit such sins. And Jesus said, oh, you do commit them. Right there every single day. And then the law and the world said, do not steal, and you'll be okay. You'll be white. And Jesus came along and said, you don't have to take anything with your hands to be a thief. 
All you have to do is covet what somebody else has in your heart. And you've already stolen it from them. You see, what Jesus came to do was not abolish the law. He said the law is fine, but the law can't take a black heart and make it white. The law, all it does is address the superficial. It addresses the outward. He said, I have come to address the inward. I've addressed to come to what is substantial. And that's the heart of man. And unless the heart is made whole, unless the heart is made new, man will always be black. Man will always be dark. The world will always be gloomy and doomy and a place of death. So the Lord Jesus came to bring the people of that day and every day since a white Christmas by giving them a white And he would accomplish this by the shedding of his red blood on a cross at Calvary. Black plus red equals white. Though my sins be as black as a desert at midnight, the royal ruby red blood of Jesus that flowed at Calvary will make me whiter than the virgin snow. Isaiah the prophet, writing in the 53rd chapter of the book that bears his name, beginning with verse 4, describes the process. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, he says, Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. The Lord Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, with his stripes, the shedding of blood from those stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. All, no exceptions. Every one of us have turned our own to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He who knew no sin would become our sin. And he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. What an appropriate word. A lamb brought to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears says nothing, he opened not his mouth. They were looking for a white Christmas that first Christmas. They were tired of the black Christmases of the past. They were looking for a Christmas that would be merry and bright not the gloom and doom of the past. And God sends his son that first Christmas to become the white Christmas for whosoever will. That white Christmas would give man a white heart. 
And that transaction would take place at Calvary 33 years later when the God who gave his son that first Christmas would give him again the first Easter. And he would die for our sins. Bing Crosby's white Christmas was a dream. The Lord Jesus' white heart is a reality. A man went to the Bahamas, and while he was in the Bahamas, one of those tourist places, one of the natives came up to him, called him off to the side, and said, Would you like to buy some cocaine? The man was caught off guard. He didn't expect to be asked that, that question, at least not in that place at that time, in that setting. But he quickly regained his thoughts, his composure. And he said, no, I don't need any cocaine. I've got something that's far better than cocaine. I've got something that's real. I've got something that's lasting. I've got something that's natural. I've got something that's pure. I've got something that's powerful. It makes me feel good all day, every day. It has made me free. And it's available not just to me, but to whosoever wants it. I don't need your cocaine. I've got something better. Well, now the drug dealer is kind of set back. And out of curiosity, he says, well, what is that stuff? Man says it's not stuff, it's a Savior. And his name is Jesus Christ. And the native asked the most important question anybody could ever ask How do I get it? <laughs> I don't want this cocaine. How do I get this Christ? How do I get him? Maybe that's a good question for us today. In the world of black Christmases, Jesus says, I've come to offer you a white Christmas that doesn't need any snow. In a world where things are gloom and doomy, Jesus says, I've come to offer you a life, not an existence, a life that's merry and bright. In a world where Christmas is associated with darkness and death, Jesus says, I've come to offer you a Christmas that's full of light and life now and forever in a place called heaven. And I come to offer you a new heart. Not just a cleaned old heart, a brand new heart. Because when you get a new heart that's white, the words you speak will be the words you're supposed to speak. And the things you do will be the things that you're supposed to do. You can't get pure water out of a poison well. But if the water in the well is pure, the water that comes out of the well will be pure. How do you get? This Jesus. Good question. 
Now, I know we've sat in church, most of us, many times. And I'm sure some of us can answer that question, but maybe some of us would not answer it correctly. I'm appalled at what I see when I talk to people about how do you get a new whole, a new heart, a new whole heart, a new white heart? How do you get forgiven of your sins? How do you bring the presence of God into your life? How do you get this peace and joy and hope that people talk about? How do you get to heaven? And you know, there's people sit, have sat in Baptist churches all their life who will say something like this, you just be good. Or at least just be better than everybody else. As long as I'm better than that person to my right or to my left or in front of me and back of me, I'm okay. There's many people that have that idea that all salvation is is being good and doing good things. And if being good outweighs being bad, if the good things outweigh the bad things, you go into heaven, and if they don't, you don't go to heaven. There's a problem with that. The Bible says there's nobody good. So if you want to measure yourself off somebody else, nobody's good. It's black calling black, black. We all got black hearts. And there's no degree of black. Are they? I think I would like to have that extra black shirt, please. White is white, black is black. Never the two come together. If you've got a black heart, being good and doing good things isn't going to change nothing. Other people get the idea, well, all i got to do is say a prayer. We have been so indoctrinated to say a sinner's prayer, believing that that sinner's prayer is going to make our black heart white and is going to forgive us of all of our sins and take us to heaven. We've been so indoctrinated to think that that simple prayer, whether we understand it, whether we mean it, whether we really want to do it or not is irrelevant. All we got to do is say those words. They're like magical words, and we're home free. And we've got Baptists by the thousands who believe they're going to heaven, even though they live like the devil every single day of their life, simply because they said, when I was six years old, I said that prayer. That prayer can be said 50,000 times. And you can still have a black heart. Are you listening to me, folks? You're not saved by being good. Your heart doesn't become white by being good. It doesn't become white by saying some prayer that you don't understand and you don't mean and you could care less about ten minutes later. You're not given a white heart by joining a church and walking an aisle and going through a baptistry pool. You're not given a white heart by believing in some creed and reciting some sayings or participating in some rituals or ceremonies. Only Jesus Christ gives a man a white heart. Only Christ. And in order to get that white heart, you have to acknowledge that you have one.
A doctor can't help you unless you acknowledge you're sick. You can't get your car fixed unless you acknowledge it's broken. You have to acknowledge, I have to acknowledge, we've got a black heart. Do you understand that? We've got a black heart. And we say what we say and we do what we do because our hearts are black. We've got to acknowledge it. We don't like to acknowledge things like that. We like to blame somebody else. I might have a black heart, but it's your fault. Oh, we like to have an alibi. We like to have a reason. We have to acknowledge our heart is black because we were born with a black heart and we are willful sinners that keeps it black. Secondly, we have to believe that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. There is no other name given in heaven, on earth, or in hell by which a man can be saved but the name of Jesus. Not the name of Mohammed, not the name of Buddha, not the name of Confucius, not the name of a pope, not the name of a Dalai Lama, not the name of Billy Graham, the name of Jesus. You have to believe that Jesus is the Savior and Lord. He is the one that God provided to do heart surgery on a man with a black heart and take that old filthy heart out and put in that man a new white heart that he can have a forever white Christmas whether they be snow or not. And then we need to confess our blackness to his whiteness, our wickedness to his righteousness. We bring all of our sin and we give it to him and we take all of his salvation that he gives to us. We do that by faith. We believe that he will save us if we ask him to. And we do it in repentance of sin. I'm sorry for what I've said and done and I will by your grace not do it anymore. You say, Pastor, that's so simple, too simple. No, it's simple because the Lord wants everybody to be saved. Oh, it's simple, so simple that most people don't do it. In closing, what color is your heart this Christmas? Is it black? Because the sin is still there? Or is it white because you've been washed in the royal ruby red blood of Jesus? And he gave you a new heart and a new color heart and a new life and a new eternity. I'm not dreaming of a white Christmas. I'm dreaming of a white heart. When you got a white heart, you'll have a white Christmas. I promise. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.